Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up and let's get started on today's podcast. I am super proud and honored to bring you guys this week's podcast guest, Shardae Zarai, who is an award-winning strategist, career performance specialist, and sought-after self-mastery expert. Following a successful 10-year-plus corporate career in the law, banking, and strategy consulting industry, Shardae has become a best-selling author, TEDx speaker, and was recently recognized as Adweek's Careers Creator of the Year. She's been featured in the New York Times, Yahoo Finance, and the Daily Mail. Shardae pairs neuroscience and psychology to tackle many different areas of dominating a skillful, successful mindset, having helped thousands of professionals to level up their career. In today's podcast episode, Shardae and I talk about imposter syndrome, confidence, powerful decision-making, procrastination, and creating the life you deserve. And speaking of leveling up, just before we jump into the episode with Shardae, today's podcast is brought to you by my premium coaching program, Lean Gut Mind Method. In this busy world, women struggle to prioritize their health and they constantly find themselves frustrated with a lack of results. Lean Gut Mind Method coaching service provides expertise, personalization, and a proven system of tools so that women find themselves empowered to live their best lives in a body that they choose. If you're a female who struggles with weight loss, emotional eating, and poor gut health, and you're ready to change once and for all, let me and my team help you. Lean Gut Mind Method is the last nutrition program you will ever need to invest in, and the first program you will see lasting results from. Let me and my team show you the way. Apply for my premium one-on-one 12-week coaching program at www.leangutmindmethod.com. Welcome to the podcast, Shade. I'm so excited to have you on today. Thank you so much, Leanne. I am equally excited to be here. I can't wait to dive into some of the topics and themes that we have in store. Oh, I've literally I've been excited all week for this episode. <laughs> so let's start off with just talking about how the year's been so far. How's 2021 been treating you? What have you been up to this year? It's been a good year. I mean, it you know, coming off of last year, I think everyone's had a better year this year. At least we know what to predict, which is unpredictability uh, and still uncertainty. I've had a great year from the sense that I'm really consciously focusing on what's within my control. And I think the experience we all had last year really highlighted how much there is that we cannot control. And mm-hmm. when we try and control that, it only leads to overwhelm and stress and anxiety. So, you know, if there's anything last year taught us, it was really to expect the unexpected because we never know what the future holds. And so the flip of that, I think, is also being really appreciative of everything that we have, having gratitude. One thing worth noting is there is a, you know, there's a huge amount of change happening right now around the world and there's a lot of uncertainty and it's very easy to get caught up in all the negativity. A lot of people have a lot of trauma associated to what's happening or it's it's making them relive things from their past. So in, in 2021, I'm carrying on what I learned in 2020, which is really to focus on what's within my control and find ways to be of service to others, no matter what. You know, there's always things that we can do to help others, to make others smile, to make their lives a little easier. 
And that sense of purpose is really what gives me optimism around the future because we're seeing this kind of come up where people are using this as an opportunity to offer acts of service, random acts of kindness, to support others when they need it. And it's beautiful to see that. And that's what you do. That's how you've built such an amazing community as well. It's all about providing guidance, support, and doing what you can to improve the lives of others. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, listeners at home, you don't have to be like myself and Shada. You don't have to have, you know, thousands of followers online. It could be, I've seen beautiful acts of kindness where I went to a coffee shop one day and the guy said, the coffee's free, the lady in front of you bought it for you. And I was like, so I was like, stop it. Like, I was like, I have to do that. I have to pay for coffee and, you know, pay (laughs) Pay it forward forward. and get the next one. And I just wondered, I was like, the guy, how many people? And I think he said it was about three or four. It had been going on by the time it got to me. And if I do another one, that'll be four or five. And I just thought, what a beautiful way to brighten someone's day, because you never know what, like how bad someone's day has been. Like imagine a mum who's tearing out her hair. Her kids have been a nightmare. She struggles into the coffee shop and she's like, give me caffeine. And the guy's like, this one's on the house. Like, how good Uh would that make you feel? Right? And it's so heartwarming when you hear stories like that, or if you're part of that. I think it really taps into the human, that human element of connection. You know, mm. it helps us feel mm-hmm. so connected. Yeah, yeah, couldn't agree more. And then let's dive right in because I was having a really good read of your website before um, we jumped on this podcast or a couple of weeks ago when I when I first sort of pitched you to come on. And I just loved everything that you were about. I'm so excited to have you on. But your website really talks about helping women to ditch the imposter syndrome, to boost their confidence levels and to help them create the life that they want. And as I was reading that, I was like, sign me up. Like, where do I sign up? This sounds amazing. I'd love to know what what got you, I guess, like interested in this work area or this line of work? It's a good question. I'm actually asked it a lot because my my background is quite different to what I'm doing now. And actually, the work I do with women is one of the pillars of the business. So I run a business with my husband called Influencio Global Inc. And we work with organizations around the world. We're essentially a leadership development consulting and research firm. And we empower leaders and teams to thrive during challenging times. So we've actually been very well positioned during last year because we became Mm -hmm. almost a go-to for a lot of companies to get that sort of support. But then, of course, I've got this other pillar, which is all around supporting and empowering women. And how I got there is, you know, it's very much something that my husband and I are very passionate about working with women. And I'll explain why in a moment. But I spent 10 years of my professional career in corporate. I started in psychology. I worked in the law. Then I moved into banking and finance. And I was full of self-doubt. I had so much imposter syndrome when I was in the banking space because I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't understand the language. I couldn't feel like I could connect with people. I felt like I had to become someone else in order to fit in. And it took me a really long time to kind of find my groove. And I spent a lot of unhappy years initially. But then when I eventually found my groove, I discovered that my experience of the self-doubt and the imposter syndrome was not an isolated experience. Many, many other women were experiencing Mm -hmm. the same thing. And I also saw how many challenges many women face within those environments. So, you know, in male-dominated spaces, there are a lot of prejudices and stereotypes and self-limiting beliefs. And so as a woman, I experienced it and I saw others experiencing that too. But the thing that really, really stood out to me the most when I was coaching and mentoring women in that space, I was seeing that the highest performing women, so the women who were doing really well in their careers, they were getting invested in by their company. And so the company was paying for them to go on leadership development programs, giving them mentors, basically giving them a lot of investment to secure their position in leadership and advancement. 
And there were all these women in sort of the middle cohort who maybe weren't super high performers yet. And they were looking up at that, wanting that kind of investment and that development, but they weren't getting it because they weren't considered a worthy investment or a good return on investment by the company. And these are the women that would seek me out for guidance and support. And I realized there's a big gap in the world of work where if you're a high achiever as a female, you are on a a trajectory that will inevitably end in success because people want to see you succeed. And then we forget about all the other women who are kind of in the middle who have so much potential and just need some guidance and some empowerment and someone to believe in them. So after seeing all of that, uh, I then left the corporate space only in March last year. But the last few years while I was there, my husband and I had set up our business together. We were doing things on the side anyway. He comes from an entrepreneurial background. He used to run his own leadership and training firm himself. So very aligned passions. So that had been happening, finally left in March last year. And our real passion is to really uh, create a program. And we're in the process of launching it in a couple of months. It's an online program specifically designed for women to give them everything that they never got from their companies or from, you know, from other people so that they can self-serve their own leadership development, self-serve their own confidence, ditch that imposter syndrome that holds them back, and basically get everything that they always wish they had but were never given the opportunity to get. So that's where we're at. And the reason why it's a real passion for my husband Faisal and I is we strongly believe that the world of humanity has two wings. You know, one is women and the other is men. And it's only when both of these wings are equally developed that this bird can actually fly. So that's how we see the work that we do. We're helping to strengthen and equalize, you know, the wings of this bird, elevate equality and ultimately help women to fulfill their potential. And equality is something that has really been talked a lot about, particularly in the last few years, hasn't it? And I think it's really come to notice the, the big pay discrepancies between males and females, even in um, in terms of sport. You know, there are a lot of professional male sporting athletes, whereas you compare that to the female professional sporting athletes, they're still working, holding down jobs, training at night times or 4am in the morning just to become a professional athlete. But that pay scale that these women get is nowhere near what the men gets. They still have to work full time as well. So there still is that big gender equality. So I love all this work that you're doing in that space. Yeah, it's a, it's an exciting space to be in because you can see the impact that it has. I mean, look, if you can just impact one person's life, the ripple effect that that has, it's amazing. It's such a rewarding space to be in. Absolutely. And I'm going to bring you right back and talk about imposter syndrome because that was one of the first things you mentioned. And as a self-proclaimed type A perfectionist. (laughs) I've had a lot of imposter syndrome in my past. You know, who am I to do this? I, you know, I can't talk. I used to say to myself, I have the worst voice and here I am with a podcast nearly at a million downloads. So, you know, I never thought I'd be a podcaster because of that self-doubt, because I'm typically a person that talks at a million miles an hour. My whole life, everyone was like, slow down, take a breath. You know, you don't have to talk so fast. And I'm like, how, how should I start a podcast? Who am I to deserve this podcast? So the imposter syndrome is is real, I'm sure, for many of us. But let's take it back to basics and talk about what is imposter syndrome and what can we do to ditch it? What can we do to get rid of it and sort of level up and, and rise above it? Yeah. And firstly, I just want to say a huge congratulations to you. What a wonderful case study of someone who <laughs> had an insecurity, had other people tell them almost what their limits were, and you just push through. It's so great to hear these, these stories of women who do this because it inspires so many others. Uh, But yes, (laughs) imposter syndrome, this thing that so many of us face. So essentially at its simplest, it's a belief that you are undeserving of success. 
you feel like you're a fraud, but the important thing is that you have a strong track record of performance. So you actually have a history of success, and yet you've reached a certain point where you don't feel deserving of that success. And there's typically three telltale signs, if you like, when you look at a lot of the research. The first one is that you believe your success is a result of others, luck, or timing. So you are not taking ownership of your success at all. You're attributing your success to external factors, things that are outside of you. So you're taking yourself out of the equation. You know, you might hear women say things like, oh, well, I just got really lucky, or it was just a fluke, or I was just in the right place at the right time. You know, we hear this kind of language a lot, and it almost masks the fear that women have around not being able to succeed next time. Because that's often where it's from. It's like, well, I don't deserve to be here and therefore I'm not going to be able to maintain this level or this standard. So that's the first one, right? So attributing things to others' luck or timing, not internally attributing it. The second is this view of, I must not fail. Because if I'm in a position where I might fail, people will discover that I don't deserve to be here, that I am a fraud, that I don't deserve this success. Also, you know, interestingly, fear of success is part of it as well, because success sometimes brings with it added scrutiny, other people paying attention, and you setting a new standard that you feel like, well, I'm not going to be able to maintain that standard. So you're full of all of this fear, so you end up just holding yourself back. The third sign is where you you might think, well, success is no big deal. Like, you know, Leanne, you could say, well, I've had a million downloads. Oh, well, it's no big deal. So again, you're not taking ownership of the success. You're downplaying and discounting your success because of the other reasons. You know, you have a fear of, well, people might then expect me to maintain this level. What if I do fail all of these things? So when it comes to, you know, ditching the imposter syndrome, there's no magic pill. There's no secret formula that will just work immediately. It really is a consistent mindset shift that we need to have as women. Uh, One exercise I actually encourage women to do is to take a piece of paper and actually fold it into three columns. So you have three columns, And then in column one, you write down everything you feel like you've done well. You know, what are all of your achievements, your successes? Write them all down. Then in your middle column, in column two, you write down, how did I do it? Importantly, you're focusing on the effort and the skill required. So what skills did you apply? What qualities did you have to demonstrate? So we're taking the focus away from the outcome of the success or achievement and actually the process of reaching that. And, you know, these might be things like, well, I had diligence, I was really patient, I was determined, I problem solved, whatever, I was resourceful or analytical. Then, whatever you're feeling imposter syndrome towards, so this is where we get to pillar number three or column number three, because imposter syndrome is not really in isolation. It's in relation to, you know, it could be the podcast, it could be applying for a job, getting a new opportunity, whatever it is. That goes in your column three. What you're thinking here is, okay, What can the skills and the strengths that I know I have, because I've written them in column two, how can these help me to do whatever I need to do in the current situation? So again, we're not focusing on the success part. We're focusing on the effort and the skills and the virtues and the qualities part and the strengths that you have. And then here you want to be really honest with yourself and say, okay, well, what don't I know how to do? You know, if you are starting a podcast, you say, well, I don't know how to reach out to people or I don't know how to whatever. What do I not know how to do? And then what can I do to help me in that space? Do I need to seek some support, ask someone for help, go and 
listen to a YouTube video, you know, whatever it is, you get really clear on the action you can take. And by going through this process, you're basically reminding yourself that you have skills, you have strengths, you've put them to practice and look at what you've achieved. You can use these skills and these strengths going forward, regardless of what you're approaching. And it helps you realize that you don't need to feel like a fraud because it's not about the achievement or the success. It's about what you put in to get there. The key message when it comes to imposter syndrome is that a lot of us hold ourselves back until we feel 100% ready to do mm-hmm. something, to say yes to, you know, we think, oh, no, I, I need to wait. The timing is not right or I don't know enough yet. And we completely keep ourselves stuck. But the reality is if we all waited, if everyone in the world waited until we were 100% ready before taking on something new, no one would ever advance. Everyone would be stuck because that's not how life works. That's not how growth works. That's not how babies learn how to walk. You know, they fall over 50 million (laughs) times and they keep getting back up. So that's kind of the, the exercise I take people through. Just a couple of other quick tips when it comes to imposter syndrome. The first one is be really aware of who you spend time with. The people that we're around influence us more than we realize. And there's two processes here. So one is emotional contagion and the other is social contagion. So, you know, COVID-19 is not the only thing that you can catch. You can actually catch the emotions and moods of other people and the behaviors and the thinking patterns of other people. And this is why, you know, if you're around someone who's really upbeat and really positive, you can't help but feel more upbeat and positive, you know, when you leave, you take that with you. And then similarly, if you're around someone who's sort of really negative and downbeat, you don't know why you feel so miserable after connecting with them or what's going on. It's because you're literally taking these things on. So you want to be around people who believe in you. Otherwise, you'll never get over the imposter syndrome. So that's the first one. The second one is be really clear on your strengths. Know what your strengths are. Own them. Don't focus on gaps. Because as women, we often focus on what we don't know how to do. But there are always things that we can focus on that, you know, really elevate what we can do. And then lastly, take action. One of the best antidotes, if you like, to self-doubt and imposter syndrome, even perfectionism, is actually just taking action. Take action in the face of the doubt, and you'll realize that, hey, I'm still alive. The world didn't implode. (laughs) Nothing terribly bad happened because we catastrophize how bad we think things will end up being. And I actually, I have a lot of content on my YouTube channel around overcoming perfectionism and working through these kinds of things. So you know, there's so much there and the feedback that they get shows me that they're very, very relevant. I mean, of course, we're talking about women, so very relevant to women, but I do get a lot of men also commenting saying, oh gosh, I feel this too, but I have no one to talk to. So it's definitely a very widespread challenge that we face. Absolutely. And that imposter syndrome, it's so linked into perfectionism. It's linked to the fear of failure. I even think in my head, it's probably linked a bit back to like self-sabotage as well. Because we've talked a lot on this podcast about perfectionism, about self-sabotage. Yes, in relation to our diet and constantly falling off the wagon or, you know, losing a couple of kilos and treating ourselves with a bit of a cake and putting it all back on again. But I guess that self-sabotage probably links back to that fear of failure, doesn't it? Like I don't want to fail. So if I self-sabotage and bugger it up now, um, and then I tell people that I wasn't good enough, or it was just luck, then it won't matter where I end up. So it all comes back to that, that fear or that feeling of we're not good enough or we don't deserve this enough. Absolutely. And you touched on it. I was going to mention it. It all comes down to self-esteem and self-worth. And anytime someone feels or says, I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, that language of enough reflects a really damaged sense of self-worth. Because if you 
have a sense of self-worth where you believe in yourself, you believe in your capabilities, you believe in your potential, then you never feel like you're not enough because you always know that there's room to grow and you may fall off the bandwagon, as you say, but you get right back on. So it's a really, really important point that you raised there. Absolutely. And I love that all your tips and strategies around imposter syndrome were around self-development because we're not perfect. And even if we look at some of the billionaires in the world, they're constantly doing this self-development on a daily basis. They're going, where do my strengths lie? Who can I hire to do the things that I don't really like doing or I'm not really that great at? And how can I optimize you know, where I'm at and, and make myself a bit better? So it's all about that self-development without needing to reach that pinnacle of perfection. Because I think that we're all, we're striving for this perfection, but you know, many of us have, have graduated uni, we've got master's degrees, we've got PhDs, whatever it is, that might be the pinnacle of perfection and once you get there it's like well what now <laughs> what's so next? I like that, yeah. I don't feel any different <laughs> I like that it's this constant self-development and we can constantly grow and evolve without this kind of like end to mm. it which is is really nice and I think that's what's always really helped me in terms of getting over my type a perfectionist personality is knowing that I can constantly grow and evolve and do my best every single day and if I fall down I just get back up again there's no end limit to where I might end up. <laughs> mm. It's like that line from Mean Girls, which I used to love when I was at high school, the limit has no end, <laughs> which is, I don't know if you're a Mean Girl fan, but- um, I love you Mean just, Girls. Yeah. That was to do with some kind of a maths related piece, but uh, no, it's so true. You know, life is a journey. There is no end point. I mean, of course we get to the end of life, but in terms of the day by day, yeah, it's all about seeing how we can be a better person, how we can be a better human, how we can learn from every single setback. And that's really what determines how fulfilled we end up feeling and how happy we feel with the quality of our lives. Mm, and I think a lot of that happiness, as we talked about, comes back to that self-worth and that self-esteem and that self-doubt. And what I'd love to link in now is really around confidence, because I think that that self-doubt and that confidence kind of goes hand in hand, doesn't it? So how can our listeners start to feel more confident within themselves, whether that's with their health, their exercise, their lifestyle, whether that's with their relationships, whether it's with their career path, how do we gain confidence? Is it a case of, you know, fake it until we make it, which I very much have done in my past, or have you got some other practical tips for our listeners where we can actually help to improve our self-worth and, and increase our confidence? Yeah, it's a really, really good point to raise. You know, how do we actually get to a point where we do feel more confident? And again, like anything, it is an ongoing journey. There is no magic pill, but there are definitely some tangible tools that we can apply. You mentioned this fake it till you make it concept, and it's such a relevant one because we hear it a lot. You know, just fake it till you make it, you'll get there. And there's some degree of truth to it in the sense that if you embody certain behaviors, you will eventually take them on as if they're your own. You create a new pathway in your brain, you know, neural default pathway, you're developing a new habit, a new behavior, and, and you've changed yourself. But some women I find they respond kind of negatively to the idea of fake it till you make it because it does feel a little inauthentic. And there's a beautiful way of just reframing it, which I found is, I, I don't know where it came from, but it's instead of fake it till you make it, think about this, be it till you become it. Oh, I love that. Isn't it like just a subtle change? And it's so, I find it so much more empowering. It's, it's empowering. That's exactly it really what it is. is. So that's the idea, right? Be it till you become it. And so the idea here is that you will never feel confident unless you first believe that you are confident. And then you take on confident behaviors and everything feeds each other. You know, one of my videos on uh, YouTube recently was around how to look more confident. And I, I was focusing specifically on 
behaviors we can take on to make us appear more confident to others. And that does two things. When we appear more confident to others, that changes the response that they give us, which reinforces that, yes, we are confident. But secondly, because of you know the facial feedback loop, the behavioral feedback loop, and things that go on in our brain and our bodies, when we are taking on confident behaviors, we will start to feel more confident. And I mean, the reverse is also true. If you slouch at your desk and tilt your head down for you know a couple of minutes, you'll actually start to feel less confident. It's called a low power position because it impacts the neurochemistry in your brain and makes you feel like you have less power. So the first thing is, you know, think about what kind of body gestures or behaviors you're taking on. Now for women, we know that women have a tendency to take up less space. Think about how a lot of women sit. They sit cross-legged with their arms in. If you think about how many men sit, they often have their knees, you know, to opposite sides and they're leaning back on the chair. They're just naturally taking up more space. So as a society, we have these sort of socialized ways of sitting and the fact that as women, we also wear heels and dresses. It kind of doesn't help us when it comes to expansive positions. <laughs> but when you're communicating, when you're presenting, when you're speaking, when you're walking, think about how you can just, you know, have an expansive position, shoulders back, getting oxygen in, chin up, that will impact you. So that's the first thing. The second piece is to really think about a lot of people lack confidence because they're perfectionists. They want things to be perfect. And essentially what's happening here and is that you've got in your mind, you've got, okay, I know where I currently am. I know where my current state is. And then in my mind, I also know where my ideal self is. And I'm completely fixated on that gap in the middle and focusing on how far I have to go and how I am not there yet. And that's where they, you know, I'm not enough comes from. It's almost like we're comparing ourselves to this ideal state of where we wish we were. And to get there, we're also comparing ourselves to everyone else, because often an ideal state is based on comparison to others. How can I be more like her? How can I do more of what they're doing? And this constant social comparison focuses us on the gap, which then, because of how the brain is wired, when you focus on what you lack, the brain is wired to magnify what you focus on. So you focus on the gap, guess what? You start to notice more things that you lack more areas of weakness, more things that you can't do, all the times you messed up in the past, and you create this negative cycle. It's called it's called rumination. It's constant rumination where you keep thinking about all the negative stuff and it just strips you of your confidence even more. So become really aware of, you know, what thoughts do I have? Who am I comparing myself to? How is that making me feel? A big one is if you're on social media and you come across people's accounts and you don't feel good when you see their photos, it makes you doubt yourself. You you feel insecure, whatever it is. I really encourage you to unfollow that person. Or let's say it's a close friend and you don't want to offend them. You can actually mute someone. So I encourage you to take ownership. If someone is not serving you, even in terms of what they're sharing, you owe it to yourself to not allow them into your energy space. So don't. Unfollow or just mute someone. And then I think that the third thing I want to mention, which links to confidence and perfectionism, is, you know, if you're lacking confidence when it comes to life, when it comes to health, when it comes to work, the perfectionism piece will often come up because it will highlight how you are not good enough and it will beat you up when you don't achieve the standard that you want to achieve. And so typically what happens is you become what's called a maximizer. And a maximizer is someone who wants to make a choice that will give them the maximum benefit later on. But the thing is, if you do this, it means that any decisions that you make, 
You end up obsessing over details. You end up obsessing over what you did. And then you fret about the fact that, oh, I made the wrong choice because you're constantly looking at what is missing here. And there, it was really interesting. Two studies from Florida State University found that because maximizers focus on finding the best option, it ultimately undermines their commitment to whatever choice they end up taking. Because they're always thinking, oh, what if I picked something else? That would have been a better option. I should have done this. And again, strip some of their confidence. It's like they get buyer's remorse. <laughs> and actually, <laughs> maximizers who go shopping, they end up doing this. Why did I buy this? I should have bought that. Now, the second part or the second category, which is where we want to be, is in the space of satisficers. So if you're a satisficer, your choices are determined by more modest criteria and nothing more. So instead of setting your standard at being perfection, I must be here, I must make the best possible decision, you actually just say, well, I want to make a decision that I'm happy with and it doesn't matter if it's the best, I'm not going to think about it after I make it, I'm just going to do it. So a little example is where, you know, I was looking for a new gym recently and there are three gyms on this street, all walking distance, and I was procrastinating from picking a gym because I wanted to pick the best possible gym. So I was mm -hmm. waiting and doing research and I was going to call them. And, and I realized that I was just putting off this decision because I was being a maximizer and also procrastinating. So I just said, whatever, I'm going to go to the gym that my husband's at. At least he's there. At least we can have fun together. And I just made a decision and I didn't doubt myself. Now that I think back, there probably would have been a, a more suitable place for me, but it doesn't matter because I made a decision and I committed. So when it comes to confidence, you know, we don't need to worry about making the best possible decision. It's just about choosing a path, taking action, and then focusing on growth. What can we learn? What can we do differently next time? How can we be better as a result of the decisions that we're making? I really, really like that. And it sort of embodies, we have a saying on this podcast, my mantra, which is 10% better. So instead of aiming for perfection, we just get in and we get it done. So instead of going, well, I don't have an hour and a half to get to the gym and do my full hour workout and come home. So I'm just not going to do it at all. It's like, well, let's just go and do 20 minutes. And even if we get 20 minutes, it's better than nothing. And it's, you know, thumbs up for the day and let's yes. move on. So it's really around that, that progress and not aiming for that perfection. It's like, let's just get in, get done what we can do and then get out again. And it's, it's great. It, and it, you know, you don't feel like you failed. You don't feel like you made the wrong call because it's like, well, I gave my best in that moment and that's all I could have given. So it sort of comes back to that decision-making as well, right? We don't always have to look for that perfect decision. It's just let's make the best choice with the available options that we have. And we can always change that choice later on, can't we? We're not locked into anything. No, you're so right. And you know, so much of the decision-making process we go through, it's in our heads, you know, what we choose to say about ourselves, like, oh, well, I don't have the time to go and do the gym workout, so I'm not going to bother. Or even little things like, well, I really should do this, or I have to do this. You know, this language of have to and should, especially when it comes to health. You know, I'm sure you've experienced this, Leanne, with people that you work with and your clients. This language of have to and should, it's very demotivating mm -hmm. and disempowering because it feels like some other external source is telling us we must do something and we're just going along with it. And so a simple reframe, which I love, is actually just reframing our internal dialogue away from have to and must and should to I get to, or I choose to, or I'm going to. And I used to use this when it came to exercising in winter, you know, getting out to the gym because you just want to stay at home under the, under the covers with your hot chocolate. Uh, I would usually default into, oh, I have to go to the gym. And my husband started catching me out. And so I would just shift it and say, okay, I get to go to the gym. I'm going to go to the gym. And it's amazing how I actually felt different simply by saying that out loud. 
So the power of the language that we use and the thoughts that we have, it can really, really have a huge impact on how we feel, how we think, and then ultimately what we end up doing. Absolutely. And it reminds me of this video I saw on TikTok and she was in the US or so on opposite, you know, seasons of, or opposite sides of the country. And we were in summer and she was in winter and it would have been very cold where she was. And she was saying, your mindset is one of the most powerful things. I think she was a personal trainer and it had a couple of million views and she's on the video and she's doing the little selfie and she's running down the street, honestly, like breathing icicles, like it looked freezing and she's got a beanie on and an earmuffs on. And she's like, I can't believe I get to run in this weather. I'm so excited. And she's like giving everyone a good pump. And she's like, I'm so lucky to be running. And it's like ice on the road. And I was like, girl, you're insane. (laughs) And all of the comments were like, you're so motivating. And it's just, she changed her thought process, didn't she? She did that powerful reframe instead of, oh my goodness, I'm not going out to work out it's freezing Mm -hmm. I'm gonna die it's gonna be so cold and she was like I am so it was almost like gratitude like I can't believe I get to do this and I get to exercise in this weather and people were like you're insane (laughs) but she was out there having the time of her life and it's so incredibly powerful our mindset and the things that we say to ourselves on a day-to-day basis oh so much it's actually there's a term for it. it's called cognitive appraisal so when it comes to change uncertainty or decisions that we make we can basically choose to view it as a threat like, oh no, that, you know, I don't want to have to do that. That sounds horrible. Or it's like almost like crisis mode or view it as an opportunity and something to be grateful for. And simply depending on how we choose. So this is even before we start saying anything out loud. This is entirely what's going on in our mind. Depending on which way we appraise a situation, it actually changes the neurophysiology of what's going on. You know, it changes the chemical constitution of the brain, which then impacts again, how you feel, whether you have energy to go and do it or whether you feel depleted of energy and have nothing to give. So there's so much to be said about mindset and attitude and and thoughts. Absolutely. In every aspect of our life, whether it's career, whether it's relationships, whether it's health and fitness, um, and it all, all of these things linked together, which I love, like the imposter syndrome, the perfectionism, the confidence. Um, and that brings me to my last question that I really wanted to talk to you about um, was around making assertive decisions, because I find that confidence and decision-making go hand in hand, right? When you're more confident, you make more assertive decisions. But when we lack the confidence, we're going back and forth and back and forth. And, and we're like, oh, I don't know. What about this one? I don't know. Maybe someone says this one, but someone else is saying this one. And we just can't get it together enough to make a good decision. And as you say, then we doubt ourselves. Even once we do make that decision, we're still full of doubt and we want to go back and make the other decision. So I guess that confidence and that assertive decision, they kind of must go hand in hand. Yeah, they really do completely. When you're lacking in confidence, all the other things start to come up to the lack of self-doubt, the imposter syndrome, the perfectionism, all the things that make it even more difficult for you to do what you need to do and take action. I'm doing my PhD research on the inner critic and how the inner critic impacts your development and leadership and things. And the inner critic will be very loud when you're lacking confidence. So it's almost like, you know, chicken or egg is that you lack confidence and then the inner critics come in or do the inner critics come in and then because of that, you lack confidence. Who knows? But the point is that it does make it difficult for us to make decisions. And actually, I do have a a free training that I offer for, for women, which focuses on the things that women do, mainly in a professional context. So at work, the things that as women, we tend to do that sabotages our career development, including not being able to make decisions and you know, attributing success to everywhere else. If anyone listening is actually interested in that, you can download it at shadezarai.com slash audio dash training. But the actual premise around decision-making, you know, if you don't make a decision, 
that's a decision in itself. Mm-hmm. You have decided by omission not to take action on something. <laughs> so there's no escaping decisions. Sometimes like, oh, I just don't want to make a decision. But you kind of already made a decision by not making a decision. So mm. life is a result of the decisions that we make. Life is just a series of choices. And of course, you know, you could say that there are things that happen to us, external circumstances, things outside of our control, which of course is, is the case and that's reality. But we then choose how we respond. We choose how we appraise the situation. We then choose what we focus on and what we do. So two tips when it comes to actually making decisions, aside from just doing it, the first tip is create a criteria for the decisions that come your way about whether you're going to say yes and take action or whether you're going to say no. And you want your criteria to be linked to your higher purpose. What is the purpose for you being here? What is the purpose for you getting up out of bed every day? What is the purpose for you living? And a lot of people say, oh, well, I don't have a higher purpose. And okay, that, that's fine. But what we know consistently from the psychology research and from those who do have a really strong purpose is that it helps immensely with your psychological well-being, your health, your motivation, your ability to be more confident in the face of challenge. So if you're one of the people who say, well, I don't have a purpose, I encourage you to find one. And it doesn't have to be one that you, you know, it's, it can change basically. You don't have to lock in It can change based on your values, but you want to have a reason for getting up. It could be to make other people happy. It could be to live out my full potential and have a lasting impact. So the thing about purpose is that, again, we know from the psychology literature that there's got to be two components. It has to be personally meaningful for you. So something obviously that you're passionate about, that aligns to your values. And the second part, which is the important part that people often forget, it has to benefit something other than you. So it has to have some kind of benefit to others, to the community, to the environment, to society. It has to benefit something beyond you. That's the part that people forget because sometimes people say, oh, my purpose is to make as much money as I can. And that's only going to be motivating for a certain period of time. So two parts to purpose. Once you know your purpose, you then work out, okay, what are my three criteria points for making decisions? My first one's going to be, I'm going to say yes to things that help me become more healthy. My second one is going to be, I'm going to say yes to things that allow me to be of service to other people. And the third one's going to be, I will say yes to things that allow me to grow professionally or personally. And you might have a fourth in there, which is, I will also say things to uh, say yes to things that are fun, <laughs> you know, with people I love, whatever it is, work out your criteria. This uh, makes it much easier for you when things arise and you need to decide, okay, am I doing this? Is this the right move? Now, the second thing to be aware of when it comes to decisions is also that if you have a lot of options, so like the example I gave how I was trying to pick between a gym, there were many, many gyms. If you have a lot of options, sometimes it can feel overwhelming to make a decision. It's cognitive overwhelm, and you're less likely to make a decision that you'll be happy with. Because what happens, it's called the paradox of choice. If you make a choice, let's say you have 10 options of you know which workout regime you want to follow or what, what diet plan or whatever it is. You've got 10 options it's too difficult for your brain to process them all. So you'll pick one and then instantly think, oh no, I should have picked that one. Oh, I should have done that. This happens to me at restaurants when I'm trying to choose what to pick off a menu. Yes. And then I'll finally, after a very long time, pick something and then I'll want whatever my husband ordered. So, so it happens. The idea is though, the brain is much better at making binary decisions. So that's either or, yes, no. 
So how do we do this? Let's say you have 10 options. You want to just compare two options at a time. So you can pick option A and option B and say, which one is better? Option A, great. Then you move on. Okay, option C and option D, which one is better? Okay, option D. You keep going through and do that. So by the time you've gone through it, round one, you'll have from 10, you'll have five options. You do the same process again until you you reduce it even more. And then eventually you'll get to two, you know, one or two options, which become your priorities. You then make that decision knowing you haven't turned your back on all the others, but these ones are your priority. And then you just have to commit and not look back. And when we talk about committing, it's about taking action. It's about being there 100%. It doesn't mean you can never decide that, okay, this wasn't the right path for me, but it means you have to give it a good shot. You have to give it enough time to really allow it to do whatever you're intending for it to do. And then you can reflect and think, okay, maybe this wasn't the right path. Let me go and do something else. So there are a couple of tips when it comes to decision-making and not allowing that voice in our heads that says, oh, what about that one? What about that one? That was a bad decision. You know, trying to silence that part of ourselves so we can just make the right choice in that moment. And I did use the word right, but what I meant, I didn't mean that there's a right and a wrong. It's just that in a moment, based on the information that you have, you'll make a choice, commit to that choice, and then see where it takes you. That's such a powerful and simple tool, just the comparing the two like I took so much out of that because I'm the restaurant person and then I order and then I'm like oh I want that or what is that and I'll see something going past my table I'm like excuse me wait what's that can I change but then breaking it down into that option like do I feel like chicken or beef do I want tofu or egg and then choosing my protein and then it's like what do I want as my side do I want rice do I want pasta or do I feel like fries or something like that it's such a better way to do that than looking at the 42 different options available in the menu which as you said is overwhelming so I love that just really bringing it back to basics and going just two just two just two and just always having to choose between one or the other because you're right we're so much easier to lean towards one or another when it's just two choices versus 42 you're like oh that sounds good oh so does that all that could be really good and that girl got that and that looks lovely (laughs) yep yeah it becomes very challenging very challenging absolutely so thank you so much for that um just amazing tip in terms of decision making and I was reading somewhere that powerful decision making is a real key factor in success would you agree with that in terms of the most successful people make assertive and powerful decisions absolutely because if you think about it this way the opposite is someone who is not making assertive decisions and who is very indecisive and if you think about okay how much growth is each person going to have Well, the person making decisions, even if they end up being the wrong decisions or they fail or whatever, that person is learning so much more than the person who is trying to stay safe and that person who's trying to protect themselves and not risk failure or they actually are keeping themselves stagnant. So you're so right. When it comes to success, really, it's about making decisions, committing to those decisions and being okay with the fact that it may not have been the right decision in the moment, but you took it and you learned from it. And then where to from there? Because again, as, as we all know, those who are the most successful, they haven't had a smooth ride. It's been full of failures and falling off the bandwagon and wrong decisions, and but they just get right back up again. They don't allow it to attack their sense of self-worth and their value. They just grow. And that's what it's about. It's about growth and mindset. Mm, I love that. And coming back to that positive reframing and everything we talked about before. Now, for our listeners at home who still feel stuck in terms of that procrastination, they're constantly going over things in their head. They're like, oh, I should do this. I should do that. It feels overwhelming. 
when we have so many options and choices, I know you gave us a great tip in terms of breaking that down, but any other tips for our listeners in terms of that procrastination? Because again, it's live in health and fitness, it's live in our careers, even um, in terms of cleaning the house. I'm the worst procrastinator when it comes to cleaning or washing. You're not alone. And I know for me, yeah, it's about that action. Like I'll just say to myself, I need to vacuum. I'm just going to get the body vacuum cleaner out of mm-hmm. the cupboard and leave it in the middle of the hallway because that'll annoy me so much that eventually I'll do it. That's a really good tip actually. So, so for me, it's take action, do the first steps. So it's like get yeah. out the mop and put it in the middle of the floor. And after five minutes, I'm like, mm, it annoys me so much <laughs> at being there that I'm like, I may as well just mop anyway. It so for me, it's always been, yeah, take that first step and the 10 steps after that are, are easier. Mm-hmm. Any tips from your expertise in terms of procrastination? Because I guess if we can get over the procrastination and take that action, then the decision making is easier, then the confidence is easier, then the success comes in leaps and bounds from mm. there, doesn't it? Oh, it really does. And procrastination is such a a thief of joy because it strips you from taking action and to experience the joy of a clean house or the joy of whatever (laughs) it is you're looking to achieve. You know, when it comes to procrastination, this is something I speak about a lot because so many are faced with it. I have a couple of tips that I'll share or a number of them, but before I do, I want to highlight that, you know, when it comes to procrastination, many times we just assume that we procrastinate because we're lazy or we lack discipline. Or we assume other people procrastinate because they're lazy or lack discipline. But what we know from all the research is that that's not the case at all. Procrastination actually has an underlying emotional foundation. So what does that mean? That means that you have associated a negative emotion to the task and you're avoiding that emotion that comes from the task. So it's actually not necessarily the task itself. It's the emotion that you avoid. And when we're thinking about, okay, these emotional avoidant, uh, you know, these pieces that we might be avoiding, there's a number of them. And one of them is that we procrastinate because we fear failure. So someone might procrastinate from going to a new, you know, a new fitness regime or a new workout plan because they, they fear that they won't be able to achieve it. And so they, they keep themselves back from taking action because then they're safe. They're not going to fail. But then again, they keep themselves stuck. The other one is also an avoidance of judgment. So some people will put themselves in a position where they are never really judged by others, not socially judged, which means they don't post on social media much because they're afraid of how other people will see it. They don't like presenting because they're afraid of how other people will judge them. And this idea of social judgment is a form of, we see it as a form of social rejection. So when someone criticizes us or judges us, we take that as a form of social rejection and rejection when it comes to social and emotional rejection, it has the same underlying processing system in the brain as physical pain. So rejection hurts on a deep level, not physically, but emotionally it hurts. So, you know, some people want to avoid that. And so they procrastinate. People might procrastinate because they fear success. And this is one that I shared earlier about how if you do something and you do succeed, then other people might be paying more attention to you or things might change and you don't want that to happen. So you hold yourself back and procrastinate. There's one which is impulsiveness. So you procrastinate because you're just easily distracted. You're allowing yourself to be really easily distracted by everything else, social media, music, TV, Netflix. And and that's generally when you're just not engaged in the task. So for a lot of people who just don't enjoy their work, they're stuck behind a computer all day doing analysis or data they might experience this where they allow themselves to be distracted. Oh, I'm going to go and get another coffee now. Oh, I'm going to go and do something else now. 
there's denial and avoidance, which Leanne would would be yours when it comes to the, the cleaning of the house. The mopping. Yeah, the mopping. <laughs> um, anyone who doesn't enjoy dishes or mopping or these kinds of things, anything you don't like doing, you will deny that you have to do it or try and avoid it. That's why putting the thing out is actually great because you you can't deny it anymore. It's right there in front of you. Uh, and then the, the final one is resistance and rebellion. This is where you feel like someone else is imposing something on you and you want to resist that. You don't want to do it. And so you procrastinate from doing it. Like cleaning your room when your parents would say, have you cleaned your room? You've got to go clean your room. Go and do your homework. And you resist, resist, resist. So they're kind of the categories that procrastination falls into. And the reason why I mention them is it's really helpful to unpack with yourself and try and understand what am I trying to avoid and why am I trying to avoid it? What's going on? Is it that big of a deal? So that's the first step. What am I trying to avoid and why? Because if it's, for example, a fear of failure, maybe you need to then explore how to overcome your fear of failure. And actually, I just had a a YouTube video on that recently and some of the responses and the messages I got, it again, highlights how relevant it is for so many people. You know, these fears that we have, they're very real. But then we go into, okay, action steps. And I love how you're, you said that what you do is you take action, a very small action, but then you realize that then the next te- 10 steps become so much easier. So when we're talking about action, the first tip is absolutely start small. You know, what mm. a lot of people mistakenly think is that they will wake up one day feeling motivated to do the thing that they're waiting to do. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I will just wake up one day and I will feel motivated to go to the gym and I'm just waiting for that day to come. And then it never comes and then they wonder why and then they keep procrastinating. What we know about how motivation works is that model of waiting to feel motivated actually is not how it works at all in terms of how the brain is designed. You have to take action first in order to feel motivated and it's because of the role of dopamine. So when you take action, a very small action, like in your case, putting the mop in the center of the room, that's actually taking action. And that small action that you take it results in a a release of dopamine in your brain. Now, dopamine actually activates the reward pathways that you have, which makes it feel good, even if in the moment it didn't feel particularly good. There's this underlying process of, hey, I just got one step closer to my goal, which makes the next goal a little bit easier because you've had that activation of the reward processing system. You feel like you've got a little bit more motivation and then it's much easier to come to it the next day. Or, you know, five minutes later, as you said, because you keep seeing it and then you go and do it. So this idea of starting really, really small, there's this classic example. You know, if you want to be able to run a marathon one day, you might procrastinate for a very long time because a marathon is a very, very big task to accomplish. So you're encouraged to put your shoes and socks next to the door. If you want to go and train the first morning, all you do is you put your shoes and socks next to the door and that's your day one goal done. Then day two, you actually put your shoes and socks on and you go for a little walk to your post box and then back. (laughs) Day three, you go for a little walk around your block. Day four, you jog around your block. Day five, you jog a little bit. So you basically, you're easing into it. And by doing that, you get that satisfaction of, hey, I achieved this small goal. The next one becomes easier. The next one becomes easier. And you build this positive momentum. So that's your first step. The second one is around, you know, if you've got something that you have to do maybe at work, or maybe you've got to clean your house or something like this. Sometimes we delay these things because we're just not interested or we just can't focus. So there's something called the Pomodoro technique, which is very simple and very well used. And I encourage it. Essentially, what you do is you want to focus with a sense of urgency. And how you do this is you set a timer for 20 minutes or sorry, 25 minutes. 
set your phone alarm for 25 minutes and say, I am going to focus on this task for 25 minutes and nothing else. I want to be distraction free. When that alarm goes off, you give yourself a five or a 10 minute break and you rest. You go and have a nap or close your eyes or whatever it is, just rest. And then you do it again. And by focusing in those 25 minute chunks, you'll actually find having that level of urgency, especially for people who wait until last minute with a deadline, because they need to have the pressure of a deadline. Sometimes that 25 minute timer can be enough to get you going. And once you get going, you realize, hey, this isn't so bad. I got through more than I thought. And then you can maintain that. The third step, very simple one, it comes down to positive reinforcement, which is a very, very well-known concept in psychology, literature, and research. Have a little reward that you'll give yourself after you do something. So sometimes for me, I say, okay, well, I will watch The Handmaid's Tale after I go to the gym. I'm not allowed to watch it before. And that becomes my little reward once I do the thing. Uh, Step four, avoid distractions. If you're trying to work on something on your laptop, close your email, close social media, all of these things. Uh, Try and keep your desk distraction-free. If you're working out, try and not be on social media because it will distract you. (laughs) (laughs) And then tip five. Tip five is an interesting one, and this is one I discovered when I was working in corporate, and I struggled with energy. So I would find that I'd have energy at about 11 a.m. and then I would slump after lunch and then I would struggle and I was constantly tired all the time. So what I encourage people to do is actually to tap into their unique energy rhythm. What does it mean? It means for maybe a couple of days in a week, track what you feel each hour. So okay, at 8 a.m. when I wake up, I'm actually feeling quite energetic. At 9 a.m. I have a little bit of a slump. At 10 a.m. my brain switched on again. You know, track what's going on for you, whether you feel positive, high energy, And then you want to design your day around your unique energy rhythm. When you have the most energy, that's usually, let me ask you, Leanne, when you have the most energy, what do you usually feel like doing? Probably going to work out. (laughs) Yeah. And and do you love working out? Yeah. 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 I do most most days. I wouldn't say every day, but most days. Always feel better afterwards, right? Yeah. Always. The endorphins are amazing. So (laughs) typically what happens when when we're feeling great, we do things that we enjoy Mm -hmm. because that's just our default. And then what happens is when we then have no energy left is when we, we're left with all the stuff that we don't enjoy. And it just makes us feel even worse. And it's an effort and we procrastinate and it, it's just this whole horrible experience. So I encourage people to flip it. If you're feeling really amazing, if you know what time of the day your energy spikes are, see if in those moments you can do all the stuff that you intensely dislike that you would otherwise procrastinate because guess what? You're going to have more positive energy to apply to the task You will get through it much quicker. And it means that then when your energy is slightly slumping afterwards, you can go and do stuff that you love, which guess what? Gets your energy back up. So it's almost like hacking. It's using emotional intelligence to basically hack our energy rhythm throughout the day and using it to be of benefit to us. It's like strategic management of our emotions. I love it. And everybody has different energy levels. Like I would not say I'm a morning person. Like I'm the opposite of a morning person. I'm with you. But you'll, you'll often find me at 10 p.m. at night replying to emails or getting some content out or doing a TikTok video or something like that. So, and that's the best thing about energy is and about being individual. We all have different energy pathways and we all thrive in different areas at different times. So I really like that. And actually sitting back and taking note of when do I feel best in the day and actually doing the hard task for the day at that time. You're right. Yeah, It's counterintuitive 
definitely mm. counterintuitive, but uh, I encourage everyone listening to actually give it a go. And you might just surprise yourself with how you enjoy, you know, repositioning how you're doing things. Well, if I send you a, a TikTok video of me mopping at 10 p.m. at night, you'll know, you'll know where it came from. <laughs> I will know. I'm expecting that too. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. And then, Sade, what I'd love to, I guess, end this podcast on is one of the big powerful questions we started with was creating the life you deserve. So we've talked about a lot of things that – I guess, really hold people back from becoming the best versions of them, achieving the goals that they want to achieve. When we think about creating the life that we deserve and the life that we want, if you had three to five top goals or three to five top tips to give our listeners at home, where should we start? I guess, bearing in mind that a lot of us feel quite overwhelmed. We go, I'm here and I want to be here. How the heck do I get there? <laughs> yeah. And I'm glad we're ending on this one because I actually did have a think about what parting advice would I like to give? And look, there's actually, there's so much that I could give. So I had to really narrow it down. And I, I ended up settling on sharing the five hacks that come from my book. So in 2018, I published a book, The Art and Science of Happiness, which really, when you strip back the lens of women and procrastination and perfectionism, it really starts with happiness for self and self-acceptance. So I'm actually going to share five tips that come directly from my book. And how I arrived at them is when I was looking at this area of happiness, you know, the reason why I picked it is because I knew so many people who were at work and were miserable. They were going to jobs that they disliked, working with in environments that they didn't feel like they could be authentic. And there was just so much unhappiness. And what they didn't realize is that they were also recreating that unhappiness based on what they were saying to others and to themselves. So I wanted to look at the research. What does the research say about happiness and how we can create this in our lives? And I, there's a lot of research in the positive psychology space and neuroscience. I kind of narrowed it down to five, which I think are really foundational. And we've talked about many of them. So the very, very first one is positive affirmation. You know, we hear this a lot from motivators and people in the lifestyle space and, you know, the benefits of affirmations. And initially I thought this was just fluff. I just thought it was kind of like nice, fluffy, empowering stuff. And then I actually looked at the research and there is a huge body of literature and research that demonstrates that positive affirmation actually has an incredible impact on your sense of well-being and wellness and your happiness. And it also impacts how you respond to stress, how you interact with other people, your confidence, you know, levels of uh, self-worth, all of these things. So the first thing is, what are you saying to yourself about yourself? Now, this doesn't have to be, you know, waking up every morning, looking in a mirror and saying, you are beautiful, you are amazing. <laughs> That's one way of doing it. But I like to think of it of, okay, how can I realistically remind myself of my strengths and my value? And it can be as simple as having a go-to line, which is, I am capable, I am of value, and I want to put a smile on people's faces. And I will make sure every day is better than the last. Something like that reminds you of why you're getting up every day, reminds you of what you can bring and, you know, be more creative than that one. I literally just came up with that on the spot. Uh, but, you know, the idea here again, and I mentioned it earlier, your brain magnifies what you focus on. So feed it positive, affirming statements about yourself, especially if you are not surrounded by people who can do that as well. So if you don't have people in your life who build you up and remind you of your strengths, and if you do, you are a very, very fortunate person to have that, a lot of people don't have that. So if you don't have that, you have to be that for yourself. 
So that's the first one, positive affirmation. The second one is the flip side of that, and it's around removing self-limiting beliefs. In my experience, women are more likely to place limits on what we can and cannot do and place limits on our potential. And the thing with the limit is that that becomes then a standard for us. So we might reach that limit, but then we have convinced ourselves there is nothing beyond that. So then we fall short of our potential, but we think we're happy because we've reached our limit. We've reached what we think is our potential, but actually that's just us, again, placing this weight on us. So we have to be aware of what are we telling ourselves about our abilities, about our potential, and how is that sabotaging our ability to perform and be happy? So that's an important one, which is sort of the flip of positive affirmation. The third one is simple and it's it's broad, it's attitude. So when we talk about attitude, this is around what you're telling yourself about the world and how you view things. We touched on it earlier, actually, around cognitive appraisal. Do you view things as a threat or do you view them as an opportunity? And when we're talking about attitude, it's such a broad topic. It's sometimes confusing to know what do we mean by attitude, but Martin Seligman, who's the father of modern positive psychology, he describes attitude as being twofold. So on the one side, you have something called an optimistic explanatory style. So how you explain things has more of an optimistic lens. And then a pessimistic explanatory style. How you view things is more around pessimism and cynicism and and focusing on what's wrong. Now, an optimistic style doesn't mean that you are blind to challenges and hardship and reality. It just means that you choose to focus on what's within your control, what you can learn and how you can grow. So super simply, that's the third tip when it comes to creating a life you deserve. You know, what is your attitude? Mm. Fourth, gratitude. A regular gratitude practice. And, you know, we hear it. It's everywhere. We know it intuitively. But fascinatingly, a regular gratitude practice can actually change the molecular structure in your brain, reducing your experience of stress. And also making you feel more in tune with you. But also, again, because the the brain is wired to magnify what you focus on, when you feed it gratitude, when you consciously think of things to be grateful for, you're priming your mind for happiness because you're going to start to notice more of it. And this is how you create this almost self-perpetuating state by just starting your day with some gratitude. So that's step number four. And then step number five, you know, up until this point, everything has been very much inward focused. It's been very internal, you know, like me, 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 what can I do? So step number five is the missing piece. And it's all about service to others. And when we're talking about creating a life you deserve, we don't want to forget about others and how we can be of service, how we can offer random acts of kindness. When we offer an act of service to someone, it releases oxytocin in our brain. It releases oxytocin in their brain. It makes us feel more connected. It makes us feel like we have a greater sense of purpose. It feels amazing. It makes us feel warm and fuzzy. It's like the, we get a prosocial high. It's a, the warm and fuzzy neurotransmitter. And then anyone who sees that act of service also gets a shot of oxytocin in their brain. So we create this beautiful ripple effect of positivity just by offering acts of service to each other. And I I always include this one because on our individual journeys of growth and overcoming our lack of confidence and wanting to be better and, and making an impact, we need to remember that all of us have a responsibility to pay it forward. And I love how you actually mentioned paying it forward right at the beginning with the coffee example. 
You know, there's such little things that we can do, but we never know the impact that we'll have on someone else's life. So they would be the five tips, which are not exclusively for women, but definitely relate to women. And I feel they provide a really solid foundation for having the right mindset, having the right attitude, embodying that in your behaviors, embodying your potential, and ultimately being the best version of you you can be. I love that. And I particularly love that last tip because helping others always makes me feel 10 times better (laughs) than going and buying an expensive handbag or going treating myself at the hair salon or something like that. Like the simplest thing I did today and one of the, the most impactful things that I've done just today was my dad was having trouble like problems paying one of his tax bill. He doesn't do online banking. So he like goes to the post office, lines up with his bill. And for some reason they couldn't process it. And he called me in a panic because it was due. And I said, dad, I'll just log into my account and I'll pay it for you. And he was so grateful for that. And I thought I felt so good after doing that. And it literally (laughs) took me like two minutes to log into my internet banking. Right. Whereas my parents are just not like, you know, technology wise, (laughs) they're just not there yet. Anyway, so like doing things for other people does make you feel 10 times better. Mm. So I'd really encourage our listeners, even if you just start with one, like make the world a better place, wake up every day and aim to do one small thing, whether it's holding the door open for somebody, um, even when you're in a rush or buying someone their coffee or um, checking on your neighbor across the street who might be a little bit elderly or something like that, or just looking up at someone, making eye contact and saying hello. I'm always amazed when somebody I pass in the street, rather than looking down at the pavement or their phone, they actually make eye contact with me and they smile. I'm like, oh, hello, hello. Have a wonderful <laughs> day. It's so lovely. It's so lovely to actually make eye contact with someone these days. So I really do love that final tip and and all of the just expertise that you've provided us on this podcast today. Thank you so much for your time. Um, it's been an incredible chat and I could talk to you for hours I honestly could oh I feel like we could yeah we could have like a five-part series of of these these sessions but again a huge thank you to you for the opportunity to come on I was so excited when you reached out and I I've had a ball being able to share I genuinely hope that these insights and these tools help your listeners and they can apply them and start to feel a greater sense of ownership over their potential and then ultimately happiness Absolutely. Because that's the one thing I think we all want is just to be genuinely happy at the end of the day, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't matter how successful, how much money we have, what fancy place we live in. If we're not genuinely happy, nothing else really matters, does it? No, it doesn't at all. Beautifully said. (laughs) And listeners, if you're like me and just obsessed with Sade and can't get enough, <laughs> she has what there must be hundreds of hours across your socials and your YouTube channel. So please do share with us. I'm obsessed with your TikTok, but you mentioned your YouTube a few times. Let us know where we can reach out, give you a follow. Um, let us know about the book as well, where we can purchase that in the upcoming course. We want to know all about you because I'm sure I'm going to get hundreds of questions about where can we get more from Sade? <laughs> so let our listeners know where they can find you and reach out to you. Of course, of course. So you can jump onto Instagram. You just search my name, Shade Zarai, S-H-A-D-E-Z-A-H-R-A-I. I'm on TikTok with the same handle as well. YouTube, also just search my name. The, the content that I really focus on is around professional and personal growth. Everything I share has something in there to help you, whether it's a mindset reframe, whether it's a communication technique, whether it's something to say to your boss or one way to feel more motivated. So it's all geared towards adding value, as much value as possible. Uh, you can find my book on Amazon, So it's just called, I don't want to be happy, said no one ever. And again, it's a really short, it's actually like, it's full of images. It's it's illustrated because I know that as adults, many of us struggle with maintaining attention when it comes to reading words. And so I've created it in a way that's super fun and engaging to read. It provides this summary of the science of happiness, the art of happiness, how we can just have more fulfilled lives. 
And then what was, oh, yes, any, so any professional women listening, if you did want to access that free mini training, there is also a negotiation ebook as well to help you with any negotiations, salary negotiations, to make sure that you actually get what you deserve. You can download that at shadezarai.com slash audio dash training. That's shadezarai.com slash audio dash training. And I've kept it really short. It's it's only 30 minutes. It's an audio training with some video to, to match it. And you get a handbook as well. So I really encourage you to do that to really help you step into your power. Thank you so much. I'm so excited. Thank you for just sharing all of your tips to help us level up in this world. You know, it's been a really tough year, the last year or two for a lot of people. So just showing us how easy it is to do some of those really simple and powerful reframes and and create the life we deserve because we only get one, don't we? And once it's done, it's done. It's done and, <laughs> and it we, we want to enjoy it. It goes yeah. quick. <laughs> Absolutely. It's all about action. It is all about taking action. So if I can just say one final thing, I'd encourage everyone listening from everything shared today, because there, there was a lot, <laughs> pick mm-hmm. just one, two, or three things that you're going to focus on and actually implement. Because if you're anything like me, you enjoy self-development, you enjoy personal growth, you end up with this abundance of things to do. And again, because of how the brain works, it's overwhelming. Because you think, what am I meant to apply? There's too many things. So just narrow it down, one, two, or three things, put them into practice, and you'll see the impact of that. Absolutely. And my big takeaway from today was really around making more assertive decisions. Um, And I'm really going to use your just picking from two things and then doing two more and two two more (laughs) to make those assertive decisions. Because I'm very much someone who gets very flustered with, um, particularly with menus and restaurants. So that's going to be my focus (laughs) from now on is to make that assertive decision. This is what I want to order, own it, and enjoy the heck out of it. (laughs) Brilliant. I love hearing that. (laughs) Thank you so much, Sade. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I really hope that you can come back and join us one day. Because as I said, you're just a wealth of knowledge and I could chat to you all day. (laughs) Thank you, Leanne. It's been a pleasure. I look forward to that day.